With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The presenting sponsor of today's podcast is Fifth Element CBD. Fifth Element is ultra-high milligram CBD focused on relief and recovery after a workout. They are specially designed for people with an active lifestyle from weekend warriors to professional athletes to bucket list gym enthusiasts. Fifth Element, a.k.a. 5E, is full-spectrum high milligram hemp to help you whenever, wherever you need it, whether it's after the gym or after work. Get yours today to feel better tomorrow by visiting 5ehemp.com and use the promo code MONSTER for 50% off. Yes, you heard that right. 50% off. Half off. That's 5ehemp.com and use the code MONSTER. Go to 5ehemp and get 50% off. That's the number 5, the letter E, hemp.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's into the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for episode 204 by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster and the Dynasty Guru. Keaton, welcome back to the show. It is uh, finally spring training, and uh, we are back in full swing. It is us every single freaking 
Monday recording to release on Tuesdays. Excited. Excited to be back in the swing of things. We got baseball. We saw some dingers. It's nice. It's nice to just have the games back. Yeah, it really is. Um, And and a little bit of housekeeping for everybody out there who's been supporting our podcast um, throughout this winter and and last season as well. Uh, We are just going to have an absolutely killer lineup of shows for you this year. Um, And that really starts to kind of get underway this week. Um, If you listened last year, you know that Keaton and uh, Shelly Verstraight um, did the pre-cap episode show uh, where they would basically uh, preview and recap uh, Red Sox series as they end and begin. Um, So that'll be coming to you twice a week. Uh, Usually that'll be out on Mondays uh, as well as uh, on Thursdays, I believe, Keaton. Is that the the other date that that'll drop? Yes. Yes, Thursdays. Awesome. Um, Also, Matt Collins is going to be back this year with his show. He's going to be podcasting with Brian Joyner. Uh, I think their show is going to be called Over the Monster. It'll all be on this same network, so you actually don't have to do anything, but they'll be giving you their takes on Red Sox stuff as well. Uh, As I said, Keaton and I will be joining you on our normal Tuesday. Um, On Friday, uh, we're going to have something really exciting this year. We're going to have Red Sox Fridays on the farm. Uh, It is going to be... Uh, Shelly Verstraight and a new addition to the team, Bob Osgood, uh, who works at the Dynasty Guru. And, and Shelly, obviously, uh, been covering prospects for a number of outlets over the years. Uh, they're going to be talking about a different level of the Red Sox minor leagues um, every single week. And I'm going to be on that show from time to time as well, uh, kind of helping navigate the prospect landscape. So we are going to have podcasts literally Monday through Friday for you to enjoy the Red Sox. So we do hope you will tune into all those and you don't have to do anything. If you're already subscribed to this feed, uh, everything will pop up there. So we're going to have tons and tons of great content for you uh, this upcoming season. And if you want to uh, go ahead and, you know, rate and review us on there and, and uh, you know, tell us you appreciate all the the work that we're doing there um, for you guys, uh, we, we would love that, and uh, we are very happy to do it. So, um, yeah, that's it. We're excited. Okay, so we have a full show today. Spring training has begun. Red Sox have opened up with two losses, but who the hell cares? Uh, baseball is back, Keaton. Um, I'm just so excited for the spring. I, I'm wondering, before we get started here with some of our observations from games one and two, um, do you have any sort of favorite things about spring training that you look for every year or, or anything that gets you excited? Um, not necessarily with spring training, but um, I do love afternoon weekday games. So it was nice to have the Red Sox on while I was doing some work this afternoon. So I guess that's nice. Yeah, that is really nice. Uh, for me, I always love the visuals of the the weather. You know, the the green grass at JetBlue Park, and you know the the clear blue skies oh. in Florida. Um, just looking at that through my TV always makes me hella jealous uh, when I look out and it's like white, cloudy, gross skies up in New England. <laughs> that, so that actually, um, one thing I do enjoy is the. Uh, the commentary banter because it's like 90% filler. <laughs> and yeah. uh, today um, O'Brien and uh, Remy were uh, trying to guess 
how much Ronald Acuna's chains cost. Mm. <laughs> that were he had two big number thirteens all diamond out, and they were trying to guess on how much they thought it cost during his at bat, which was wonderful. <laughs> what did they land on for a figure? Remy said fifty k, and uh, O'Brien said a uh, hundred k. Do you have a guess? <laughs> I have no fucking clue. <laughs> I mean, they looked big. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so probably a lot. Far more than I will ever have to spend on uh, necklaces. Yeah, well, you know, I guess with the diamonds, right, it comes down to cut color and clarity. So uh, yeah. we'll have to figure <laughs> figure what, out what that is. Uh, O'Brien was like, well, I mean, we've been around Ortiz, and he had that big one too, so I feel like I feel like it's got to be a, at least 100K. <laughs> it's just a wonderful spring training commentary. That's the best. Baseball announcing is a true gem. All right, so let's get right into the observations here, Keaton. Um, first of all, Nathan Uvalde pumping 99 miles an hour in game one. Um, were you encouraged to see that? I mean, he didn't pitch amazingly well or anything, but, but getting the velocity back after – you know, dealing with injuries the last couple of years, that's pretty good. Yeah, for sure, especially his first start. Like, you think there'd be a bit more of a ramp-up for that, but he was ready and raring to go. So, yeah, I'm very encouraged by that. Yeah, dude is just so jacked. Apparently, Nathan Uvalde is just a, uh, a beast in the gym as well. So, I guess we're not surprised. Um, that's a guy I'm looking for big things from this year because Nathan Uvalde, it seems like as he's aged, has gotten to know his own repertoire better. Uh, obviously, health is always the X factor with him, but nice to see that the velo and the things that make him an interesting pitcher are still kind of there for him. So we'll be looking for big things from Evaldi this season. Yeah. Uh, um, next thing that was pretty cool, and I'm sure this got you pretty jazzed up, Keaton. Um, <laughs> three dingers. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, Michael Chavis, and Jeter Downs each homered in the first game. Yeah, uh, Bobby Talbot going the opposite way was real nice to see. Um, Chavis, obviously, is just the sound of that. Homer was loud and just gave me shivers. Uh, and then also really nice to see Downs continuing. He had a pretty darn good spring um, last year in the time that he was given with the Red Sox, and it's nice to see him continuing that. Uh, I've been continually impressed by Jeter Downs. Yeah, me too. Um, Jeter Downs, it's, it's, it's always intriguing to see that. That pop that he has in games, especially as somebody who can play shortstop and in second base. So um, that's why we talk about him as a future 2020 threat. So it's nice to see that. Um, Bobby Dahlbeck, obviously, hitting tanks. That's what he does. Um, He could be a huge part of the team. We had uh, a couple listener questions, actually, that I want to get to kind of right now because they tie into what we're talking about with these guys. Um, The first one came from Taylor Case. Uh, of the of the uh, what, what's his podcast name? I forget. Join the ranks. Join the ranks. Yeah, that's it. Um, it's a great podcast. I think I've actually been a guest on it before. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know why I'm thinking that. Yeah, I think I definitely have. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Taylor does a great job over there. Um, he says over under on 27 dingers for Bobby Dahlbeck this year. Do you think he eclipses that? Well, if you ask uh, Bobby Bouncy Balls himself, uh, he has his eyes set on 57. Okay. So, uh, yeah, he's keeping the, the, his, the, his jersey that had the number 57 on it in his locker all year as a reminder to hit 57 homers. Um, seems aggressive. 
Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, but you know what? Given a full season, 27, that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go for 30. I think he will clear 27. I agree. I, I think it all comes down to playing time, right? You know, if, yeah. if he is getting the lion's share of the games at first base, I think he absolutely uh, hits over 27 home runs. What's your What's your figure? Put a number on it. Realistically, I'll go 32. Okay. I will go... 32 is a great number, Keaton, by the way. Um... I will go even over your 32. I'm going to say he hits 36 and just wow. has a massive season. I love it. Yeah. I, I don't know why I think that. It could come with a 240 batting average or lower. Um, but, you know, if he hits 36 bombs, who cares, yeah. right? <laughs> if he's just pushing 40, then it doesn't matter what he's hitting. Yeah. Um, all right. I, I might have tied myself into being too aggressive this early in the podcast, but that's okay. Um, the next guy, uh, the surfing guy, actually, he says, isn't Chavis the king of spring training? Uh, what happens if he shoves in spring training and say Royo doesn't look that good? Uh, does he win the third bench spot? So Michael Chavis does Homer in that first game. Is there any way for you that he does beat out Arroyo? Uh, yeah, but I think it's more in Arroyo's hands. Um, Bloom clearly loves him. And maybe he's on the outside in right now, but I, I feel like he's probably got the inside track to Chavis. Uh, I also actually went back because I was curious if he was the king of spring training. Um, I don't believe that to be the case. Uh, he had a really good spring training in 2019, I guess. He hit 273, had four homers, but had six strikeouts in 11 games. 2020 was really bad. He had 14 strikeouts in 13 games and hit 200. Mm. Um, so far this year... Uh, one strikeout, two games, and a homer. Um, so it kind of, I don't know, pretty inconsistent in spring training. Yeah. So, um, if he t- does have a really good spring training, though, I don't, I don't think that, um, they would want him to be in a bench role. I think they'd want him to continue to get at bats, and uh, I think that actually would probably play him into uh, regular time at AAA to mm. keep it going and earn a call up again later. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not sure exactly what to think about Michael Chavez. So I I think he's got a big time uphill climb to, to, to get ahead of Arroyo. Just because when you look at the way that the roster is constructed and the fact that they are planning on going with this three man bench, um, Michael Chavis just doesn't fit that as cleanly as as a guy like Arroyo who can play not only second base like Chavis can, but he can play third base, something that Chavis uh, isn't great at. Um, And he can also play a little bit of shortstop, which is something that provides a little bit more flexibility. Um, And I think that that is a bit more valuable than the fact that Chavis can just kind of switch between first and second primarily. Um, For me... Chavis would have to not only severely outplay uh, Arroyo, but Chavis would have to actively demonstrate that he is a changed ball player by cranking on fastballs all spring training. Like just having his way with them in a way that, you know, if if all of his his hits come off of low fastballs or, or breaking pitches, I don't care. Still sending you down, Michael. 
Yeah, I agree. And particularly right now, with the the team has no depth at shortstop and Bogarts is hurt. So uh, guys that might be able to slide over to short for a bit are going to be a lot more valuable. Chavis can't do that. Um, if Bogarts does have to miss time at the beginning of uh, the regular season, I imagine Hernandez then would slide over to short uh, and Arroyo would, would sit at second. But being able to maybe spell a few innings at short would be much more valuable Hopefully, that is none of this happens and Bogarts will be just fine by the time we get to opening day. Because um, this is just day two of spring training. But uh, I would think that, you're right, Chavis would have to cut down on the strikeouts and demonstrate that he can hit that high fastball like pretty decisively. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, yeah, he's probably starting AAA. Yeah, I think so. Um, defense, though. Defense has been kind of annoying uh, to watch through these first two games. Uh, in game one, uh, Enrique Hernandez had an error. In game two, it was pretty ugly. Uh, Jeter Downs had two errors, a fielding error and a throwing error. Bobby Dahlbeck had an error, and Marvin Gonzalez had an error. Are you concerned about the sloppy play in the field? Because this was one of the really frustrating things about 2020 was all the freaking errors. They were just chucking the ball around the field. Um, are you worried at all? So initially I was going to say yes to this because exactly what you just said, because exactly what you just said, the (laughs) errors were a massive issue for this team. However, it's spring training. So, um, that's one of those things that I'm just not going to read into too much on day two. If these are, if they're still put up two, three errors a game, two weeks from now, then yes, I'll be concerned. Uh, but right now I'm not. Yeah. I'm not going to overreact right now. Um, Kika Hernandez is one of those guys that traditionally has pretty good hands. Dahlbeck as well. I'm not super worried about him. Marwin, you know, hasn't been a butcher over the years either. Um, Downs is the guy who I'm a little bit more concerned about in this regard, to be honest. I think that this is one of the things that has been somewhat of a criticism for him. Um, when, When Downs has been assessed, it's been, you know... Uh, defense gets a little sloppy at times. Um, I think the quote on him last year was he's going to be there when the lights go on, but I, you know, some questioning, uh, the focus beforehand, I think. So Jeter Downs is going to have to learn how to really get himself ready for these games in a way that shows that he's a true professional, you know, that he's coming in and he's doing the drills that he needs to do. And, um, there's that defensive lab i don't know have you heard about this keaton the lab that is set up uh to work on infield defense yes i did hear about it and it sounded quite fascinating yeah yeah so so for the listeners that haven't really uh heard about this the red sox have this sort of lab uh where they have these series of drills and they have some equipment there and they're trying to work on uh infield defense um, by doing all of these different drills and it's a little bit more structured and a little bit different than maybe defense was approached in the past and I'm not sure if this is a bloom thing it seems like it probably is um, but you know that this is uh, an area where guys like Devers are going to be working hard Bogarts mentioned that he was working there to try and you know uh, fix any issues that he has he's usually pretty short-handed the knock with him has been range but it's somewhere that Jeter Downs has been working too, and I think that the quicker that Jeter can show that he can be a really good defender and a consistent defender, the quicker he can punch his ticket to the major leagues. Yeah, 
Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And I think the um, him having a really good spring training and really that it would also kind of uh, help with the Red Sox depth at shortstop. I mean, just in general, they don't have real strong depth in case Bogarts goes down, um, like even later in the year. Um, but if that happens later in the year and Downs, you know, is making the steps that he's needed to, we might see him up here earlier than we thought. So yeah, I agree with you, Keaton. Um, I I was kind of thinking about that, and it's always been kind of my thought that maybe Duran or Casas could potentially beat Downs uh, to Fenway. But really, when you look at it, Downs might have just as many opportunities as Duran has. And I think both of them have more opportunities to make it to the big leagues um, in terms of just pure team need than Tristan Casas does. Yeah, I would agree with that. So Especially some- if uh, Dahlbach is you know pushing 40 homers. It's not going to be <laughs> a big need to rush Casas there. Yeah, I'm probably a lunatic for for projecting that. <laughs> um, but like some of these paths, obviously for for downs uh, at shortstop or probably more likely second base at the big league level, because I think if Bogarts was ever out for an extended period of time, they probably shift uh, Hernandez over to short shortstop and play uh, downs at second base. But that's yeah. an option um, if if Arroyo gets hurt. Uh, or really just performs horribly, um, you know, that's an option as well. Um, if anybody gets hurt in the outfield and Hernandez has to go out there for any extended period of time, that's an option. Um, I think it, it actually could come down to who they think is more ready between Jaron Duran and Jeter Down. So I want to ask you to kind of assess those two guys right now. Who do you think is more ready for that opportunity? Let's just say an, an injury does happen in the outfield. Who do you think they're more likely to call up to come up to the team? I think it's Duran. Um, and I think it probably has more to do with the outfield depth because um, – like, I mean, depending on kind of what they, I guess, wanted to do with uh, where the injury happened. And it, basically, like, if there's an injury, it's probably uh, Kike Hernandez taking over that spot, opening up second base. Or, uh, I mean, if it happens in the outfield, then Duran. So I guess in your scenario where there's an outfield injury, um, probably makes more sense for Duran to come up. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Hernandez stay at second, but then like if there, there's an injury in the infield somewhere else, you know they have uh, Javis, they have Arroyo, they have other guys that, and Marvin Gonzalez that could play um, second base instead. So I feel like they would get the shot to replace an injury before calling up downs, but they don't really have much depth in the outfield. So if there mm-hmm. is an injury in the outfield, then I would assume Duran's coming. Yeah, I guess I kind of disagree. I would say that for me, I think that they're more likely to put Hernandez out in the outfield full time. Um, I think the big thing is they want Duran to continue to work on his outfield defense because I think they see him ultimately as a center fielder because of his athleticism. But I don't think the routes are quite there to play center field. So I think I might lean towards throwing Hernandez in the outfield full-time and bringing up downs at a position that he's already comfortable at. 
But I can see your point too. You know, I could see yours. All right, two guys seeing each other's points. All right, let's uh, move on to the next uh, topic here. Um, your favorite player, maybe in the world, um, <laughs> <laughs> in game two, uh, Garrett Richards um, got the nod to start the game and uh, did not have a good start at the beginning. He was rescued from a bases loaded uh, one out situation by something called the mercy rule. Uh, which is new, and it allows the manager to end the inning after the pitcher has thrown 20 pitches in the inning, regardless of how many outs there are or runners on base. Um, So they did this for Garrett Richards, who was struggling mightily, um, but then he came back in and had a really solid second inning. Keaton, I know you got a chance to watch Richards' second inning. What were some of your observations from that? Yeah, I actually didn't realize how bad his first inning was because uh, by the time that I tuned in after a meeting, uh, they were just starting the second inning and he had a one, two, three inning. And I was like, oh, well, that looked pretty nice. Uh, and then I went and saw how he did in the first and was like, oh, Lord, that was bad. Yeah. Uh, but really encouraging to see him come back and have a one, two, three inning after that absolute disaster. So I think that's pretty encouraging. I mean, I'm not going to read too much into it being the first spring training start for him. Um but I feel better about having him come back for another inning and going one, two, three than if he had come back and it had been a disaster again. Yeah. Uh, how'd the stuff look to you, Keaton? Looks fine. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I saw his better inning. So, um, you know, he missed bats. His control looked all right. Um, I think he mm, – no, because that was way up one, two, three inning. He didn't walk the – the next batter um yeah i mean I, nothing really stuck out um i don't think his velocity was really uh wildly up or down or anything um but he had pretty decent command uh velocity looked good just looked like a solid spring training inning yeah and the thing too with spring training you always have to be careful of with with starters is you know they might not show their their true repertoire um, coming out in spring training, a lot of times guys come out and they're trying to throw a certain number of fastballs or or sliders or you know change ups or, or whatever they're they're working on at that particular time. So you don't always get a true measure of what the pitcher is based on how they're performing uh, in spring training. But I have to say, I think this mercy rule is a really good idea um, because you just don't want to mess with guys both physically and their heads in spring training. So I'm liking that Major League Baseball is kind of taking these measures to ease guys into the spring a little bit more. It's just, it's such a workshop environment. I think that it ought to be treated as much as as, as such, you know. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, I think that's fine. Um, I didn't realize that they were doing it. Um, My first exposure to it was the uh, Cubs-Cardinals game yesterday. Mm. um, Because... The Red Sox game wasn't on MLB TV, so I couldn't watch it, but I needed some kind of baseball, so I flipped over to that one. And Jack Flaherty walked the bases loaded in the first inning, and then they all just walked off the mound. And I was like, is he hurt? Because that sucks. And then I saw later that it was like, no, they just invoked the mercy rule and ended the inning. And I was like, I do find it pretty hilarious that you can just walk the bases loaded, and then they can be like, "Eh, all right, we're done. (laughs) Just to get out of it. So I thought it was just really hilarious. I didn't realize that was a thing that they were doing all spring training. So uh, I understand its function now and I kind of get it. I have to ask you, Keaton, if we were to uh, invoke the mercy rule uh, in some situation in life. okay, so something where you really want to be able to just pick up and leave when this situation is happening to you, where would you be most likely to invoke the mercy rule allows you to just grab your shit and go home? Hmm. I mean, initially I thought like at the grocery store because I just (laughs) don't like being around other people that have like no spatial awareness at all. Um, But then I wouldn't get my groceries because it's not like it's not a benefit to it. It's just picking up and going home. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I got to give that one a little bit more thought. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I figured. Um, for me, my first thought was uh, really frustrating traffic. Um, you that know, being able to, to evoke the mercy rule there and just be transported to home. Uh, that would be pretty nice. I remember uh, I lived in Washington, D.C. for seven years. And sometimes I'd get stuck in traffic downtown in D.C. And I would literally lose my mind. So, um, yeah, that would be nice to have a mercy rule with that for sure. Um, let's get to a couple other pitchers in game two who looked quite good. Uh, one of which you saw, the other one you didn't get to see. Uh, Connor Seabold looked really freaking good. Uh, he's one of the pitchers that was acquired from the Phillies uh, last year in the Heath Hembry uh, Brandon Workman trade. Uh, in particular, his changeup was so filthy on the day, pitch that he's known for, uh, that people were already making gifts of it uh, online. So that is pretty good like to see that he's one of the guys that could end up being quality starting pitcher death for the red sox this year yeah yeah that is real encouraging to see um i'm actually i'm kind of bummed i started seeing on twitter uh once he finished his inning um everybody was really impressed with it and all it said that his entire arsenal looked legit and really kind of ready to make an impact and i was like god damn it i should have just i basically i saw that ward who pitched right before him. So I just, I turned it off right before he pitched. So I was kind of <laughs> bummed. Um, yeah. But it is real encouraging to see because, I mean, we, how many months have we been talking about that we know the biggest issue on this team is going to be the pitching and they had no depth and they had no talent. And we were just like, what the hell is going on with this organization and their pitching? Uh, 
this is great because they're going to need some help. There's going to be, uh, you know, times where he's going to be called upon to make some starts in a pinch. And, you know, if he's ready to go with that, um, he, I mean, honestly, with a solid spring training, he may even pitch himself into that fifth spot. So um, it's not really the guys ahead of him are not don't really have a solid grasp on their spot in the rotation. So um, just want to see him keep it going. Yeah, I think that would be pretty unlikely for him to grab that spot. But in the event of an injury, I mean, especially if Connor Seabold looks this good, um, you know, throughout the spring, I think that's certainly a possibility. Nice thing with him is that he he has a true starter's arsenal and he he knows how to pitch. And it's it's also nice to see a guy who can throw a pitch like that, the change up and and get guys to swing through it um, or, you know, spit on it and land for a strike. that's something that they just didn't have. They had so many of these Ryan Weber type guys last year that just needed to be absolutely pinpoint around the corners to have any sort of success. And it's nice to see more legitimate arms. Um, I got to say, man, the last two years as a Red Sox fan have been crazy frustrating. So <laughs> yeah. I'm just really looking forward to guys like Connor Siebold being the backup plan rather than whoever the hell else we watched last year. Yep, 100%. Um, talk to me about Thad Ward, though. I know you got to see him. He pitched a clean inning. Um, what did he look like to you? Yeah, that looks good. Um, he looked like a guy that uh, could step in in a pinch in kind of whatever role they, they see fit for him. I think he's only started in the minors. Um, so he's another guy that could could look for some spot starts throughout the year, but um, I was pretty impressed. You know, it didn't uh, pop the radar gun, but it, he was another guy it at least – um, the guys that I have picked up on uh, while I've been watching don't seem like uh, there's been much of a ramp up with stuff yet um, to the pitchers. They seem like they've been pretty darn ready uh, from the get-go. So uh, he looks pretty good. Uh, control looked pretty good. Um, yeah, his clean inning, I think uh, he didn't walk anybody, right? Um, I don't believe he did. Oh no! I'm thinking of uh, yeah, yeah, Cal yeah. Hart. He walked too. That was guy. Yeah, he that didn't walk anymore. Richards. Yeah, and he got a strikeout. Um, so yeah, it was just a real, real solid inning. You know, it's it's by the time uh, you know he came up, there was no remnants of any people that I had ever heard of uh, in Atlanta's lineup. Um, so you can kind of take that for what it is, but um, it's spring training, though. There's quality hitters uh on the other side so it was a solid inning to see him pitch yeah yeah absolutely um i'm encouraged by him that was a guy i mentioned last time we were on the pod together is somebody i'm going to be looking for because we didn't really get to see thad ward at the alternate site last year and um one of the better pitching prospects for the red Sox, and somebody who's a little bit further down on the starting pitcher depth chart but somebody who's still relatively close and Definitely one of the better homegrown arms in the system. So somebody I'm going to be looking for quite a bit as uh, the minor leagues get underway this year. Depth, 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 depth. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm digging the depth plan um, by, by Heim Bloom. Uh, impressive thing happened today as well. Nick York, um, who I believe is still 18 years old, which blows my mind, had a hit in a spring training game. This dude can just rake. The Red Sox might end up being like, I told you so, to me and everybody else who really criticized um, their draft plan here by by taking York in the first round. Um, 
they said time and time again when they took him, you know, this is a weird year. He would have had a higher uh, draft slot had people got a chance to see him, you know, yada, yada, yada. He wouldn't have been available in the third round. I believe them. Um, I was still a little disappointed they didn't go for somebody big, but man, it seems like this kid has an extremely legitimate hit tool. Yeah. Yeah, it sure does look that way. And I was right there with you with the criticism. I thought at that spot they could have gone um, a couple other different ways that uh, I think would have helped out the team. But uh, I didn't really know much about him. Uh, not that, you know, folks outside of Major League Baseball did because there just wasn't a lot there for the draft. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that was the one thing that once he was drafted, I mean, all of the scouting reports, everything just said the dude can hit. Um and there was a lot of folks that uh, thought he had the best – he was the best high school bat in the draft. Um, so it kind of made it feel a little bit better there. But, yeah, I was actually kind of surprised to see that he even got an invite to spring training uh, and to see him get in that bat, get a hit, and draw a walk. Pretty nice. Yeah, it really is. And it's a continuation of what he was doing at the alternate site last year when he got a chance to come up there and – you know, actually held his own. Um, it's it's just really encouraging to see. They could have something here with York, and hopefully the hit tool continues to stay kind of where it is, maybe progress a little bit, and if the power can come along, all of a sudden he becomes a very, very interesting player in this system. So Red Sox have done a phenomenal job with developing hitters, so hopefully they can get the most out of young Nick York here. Um, bullpen. Continuing with the trend for depth. Um, in the first game, Edward Bizardo, Seth Blair, and Steven Gonzalez uh, all had clean innings uh, in game one. Bizardo is the guy whose stuff kind of popped last year, ended up getting protected. Uh, Seth Blair and Steven Gonzalez uh, all pitched really well uh, in uh, at the ATS, I believe it was. And also, I believe they were at Instructs and pitched well there. Um it seems like all of these guys are continuing to throw well. And the nice thing is that these are all legitimate options for the bullpen in the event of injury or players being ineffective. Yeah. Um, I mean, the biggest thing, like you mentioned, it's just all about the depth and to see the, that we're trending in the right direction with the depth and starting pitching and in the bullpen makes me feel a hell of a lot better because it has been such a gaping hole for the past two years and made it just extremely hard to watch mm. any Red Sox game that um, I'm really, I was happy to see Bizarro had a nice cleaning. Cause I think we're going to see a lot of him this year and I'm excited about it, even though his name is not Eduardo Bizarro, <laughs> but I'll get over it. Eventually. I know you've brought that up a couple times. So I have. every time I see it, I just can't, <laughs> it bothers me so much. Yeah, and uh, Blair and, and Gonzalez have uh, some prospect pedigree too. So it's kind of nice to see those guys in a different role um, getting a chance to succeed as well. Both guys had previously started and uh, to see them thriving in a bullpen role with the Red Sox, you know, they're clearly taking shots on the right guys here. So it's nice to see some of those claims from year one uh, working out. Yeah, for sure. Um, the lineup is going to be one of the more interesting things to watch, and I think we're going to see a lot of different machinations of that lineup throughout the spring. Um, guys playing all over the place. I think that's going to be a hallmark. Um, but they might play pretty different lineups depending on whether or not they're facing a lefty or righty. Do you have any sort of preferred lineup in terms of 
uh, who you'd like to see in there versus lefties or righties? The only thing is that, to me, Alex Rodrigo has done enough to show me that he doesn't have platoon issues and he should play against whatever hand every day and be the leadoff hitter. Mm-hmm. Other than that, not really. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think that they can mix and match, um, but I totally agree with you, man. Verdugo needs to play every day. Also, Enrique Hernandez really doesn't have any platoon splits when he's playing regularly. Marwin has zero platoon splits over the course of his career. Arroyo has some platoon splits, but he's kind of a bench guy. Um, you know, I think the big thing will be with Cordero and and maybe Renfro uh, a yeah. little bit with, with platooning, but I don't see it being drastically different versus handedness. I, I see it being more different based on who needs a day off, to be honest. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think uh, particularly coming off of um, just a, a tiny season last year, it's basically just so much time off than diving back into a full season this year. It'll probably be like, um, what was it? Was it 2019 or 2018 where like Bogarts had a day off, like the third game into the season. Yeah. And and Cora really stuck with that rotation of, uh, when guys got days off throughout the year, it didn't really matter how early it was into the year or, uh, where it was like during the week, uh, next to off days or anything. It just kind of, he had his rotation and stuck to it. So I kind of imagine he'll stick to that as well. Um, but I agree that I don't. I don't know if it'll be necessarily. Here's our left-handed lineup. Here's our right-handed lineup. Um, guys are just gonna get worked in and get there at bats based on who needs a, an off day, and they have enough utility guys to make that work. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, looking at this lineup, though, obviously uh, the top four should be pretty damn good. Um, we'll talk about that top spot just here in a second. But Verdugo, Bogarts, Devers, JD Martinez, in some order. Um, Christian Vasquez has probably hit well enough over the last couple of years to be in the fifth or sixth spot. But then the bottom of the lineup is what I find most interesting. So Hunter Renfro, Franchi Cordero, and Bobby Dahlbeck should make up some of those bottom spots. And, and Bobby Dahlbeck, if he does what we think he could do, might find himself rising up that lineup quite a bit, maybe to that fifth spot. I love the idea that Bloom has here by going with these big, boomer bust huge power guys at the bottom of the lineup because i was thinking about this it's been difficult for the red sox bottom of the lineup to string together hits to create offense so if you have these power boomer bust dudes at the bottom of your lineup you don't really have to string together hits you just need to get these guys to you know run into one and especially if guys are getting on base ahead of them all of a sudden, that's a good way to create offense. I'm curious what your thoughts are with that. Do you prefer a lineup that can sort of string together hits at the bottom, or or do you like this philosophy? Well, I think it it depends on what kind of lineup you have. Um, the Red Sox don't have guys that can string together hits at the end of their lineup, and they it was a lot easier to find these boomer bus guys uh, at the positions of need than it would have been to put effort into getting guys that are um, you know, more contact driven. Um, and I think it's, it gives uh, a Red Sox offense that is not uh, going to be hard pressed for runs. Just that a little bit of an extra boost there. Um, Cause I don't know if having like 
four guys that are just going to try and string together hits um, to turn over the lineup makes a whole lot of sense when, um, I mean, that's basically, that would have been like Munoz and Arroyo. I mm-hmm. mean, we saw that at the end of last year, and it really wasn't that exciting. It really didn't do much. No. So I don't think they needed to run that back, and I really like Hunter Renfro a lot. Um, he had a great 2019, his last year in San Diego. Uh, so having him supplanted there at the end uh, really gives the bottom of the lineup of like pitchers are going to have to think about it. I mean, they're not, you're not, they're not guys that are going to um, like scare you, but if you make a mistake, they'll hit a homer. So yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more, uh, a lot more difficult for pitchers to face that kind of lineup than facing, you know, Munoz and Arroyo all right in a row. Yeah, that's a, it's a lot more for a pitcher to think about. I mean, the, the stakes become so much higher when he has to think about how he's pitching a particular guy. Because worst case scenario with a guy like Munoz or Arroyo, or it's like a double, you know, or it's a, it's a hard single or, or something like that. It's rare that they're going to beat you with power. Um, I think it could end up benefiting the top of the lineup a little more than we think, too, because of how much they're thinking about those guys. Yeah. And if, um, like, J.D. Martinez and uh, Christian Vasquez are on base and then, like, Munoz or Royo comes up and hits a double, then maybe it's not that much damage. Or hits a single or a double, you know, best-case scenario, look for a double. Um, but if Renfro comes up and hits a three-run home run, then that's a lot more damage. Yeah. <laughs> so, I like it. You know, it's yeah. not always going to be uh, everything that we hope that it will be, but they'll walk into a more production than... Um, we've seen recently from the bottom of the order for the Red Sox. And uh, I think that just adds a nice little flavor on top of the rest of the lineup that's not going to struggle to score runs. Yeah. And we will see our, our fair share of frustrating uh, inning-ending strikeouts from these guys, for sure. Sure. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think the benefits will definitely outweigh that. Um, one of the things I don't like very much and I'm curious what you think about this, is that Cora has mentioned that he might use Enrique Hernandez to lead off games. Uh, I don't like that because in that lineup, it pushes Verdugo to the two spot uh, and Bogarts down to the fifth spot. Um, I think Verdugo has earned the right to lead off for this team. I don't quite get what Cora's thinking here. Neither do I. Uh, and not only does Verdugo just a better hitter, um, he's far better at just getting on base in general um, than Kike Hernandez. So, I, I mean, that's what you're looking for at the top. So, I don't, yeah, I also don't get that and don't like it. I would just like to see that be Verdugo's job and let him run with it. Well, maybe uh, maybe Bloom can talk him out of that. Uh, it seems like something that doesn't make a whole lot of sense from a sabermetric standpoint. Um, on the flip side, one of the things that I do love that Cora has said, uh, is he said, quote, unquote, I like a structured bullpen. Uh, when asked about the closer situation, um, this is something I talked about last week, Keaton, being a huge proponent of naming a closer. I have strong feelings about this. Um, it's likely to be Barnes or Ottavino, but my question to you is uh, kind of two parts. Uh, who's it going to be, Barnes or Ottavino? And could Brazier factor into this? I don't think Brazier... Well, um, actually, you know what? Maybe maybe he can. Maybe. I'll put a maybe on that. Um, 
I feel stronger about Ottavino because I think he's just a better reliever. However, uh, he is only converted two of his last um, ten save opportunities. Or, uh, sorry, twelve. Two of his last twelve save opportunities uh, in 2020 and 2019. Um, which is <laughs> not a great conversion rate. Um, although Barnes led the American League in blown saves in 2020 and 2019. He did at <laughs> least convert some. So he was at like a 50% rate, um, just a higher volume. So that actually has me a little bit worried that the recent uh, success for Ottavino is really, really bad. Uh, but I, I still think he's overall a better reliever, so I'd like to see it go to Ottavino. But I'm also kind of surprised that Cora is that definitive about the roles because that was the whole thing when he first came in and, and having a conversation with Craig Kimball, like, if I want to use you in the eighth, can I use you in the eighth? And he was like, no, I'm the, I'm a closer guy in the ninth. I don't want that ish. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's a lesson he learned from 2019 though, because remember it didn't work so. at all. And uh, when, when workmen came through, I mean, that was different down the stretch when work took that, that position over the whole bullpen benefited. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you're right. Um, the Red Sox, though, as an organization, have led Major League Baseball in blown saves in 2019 and 2020. Um, so I'm not super happy about that. I worry about the prospect of putting Barnes and Ottavino, either of those two guys, in the closers role with the walk problems that they have. And I know Sawamura has walk problems, too. And Cora already ruled out giving the job to Sawamura. Um, so for me... Keaton, I almost want to see Brazier in that role because I'm one of those people who thinks the closer role is important in that it is is important to have defined roles as the closer, but I don't actually think that the closer role is important in terms of, you know, put your best pitcher there. So I kind of wouldn't mind seeing Brazier be the everyday closer and only throwing, you know, for three outs or whatever and, and having Ottavino and Barnes be in there whenever in high leverage situations. Well, see, that's that's. I don't think it's that cut and dry, to be honest. Like, sure, Ottavino has his walk issues, but uh, and the same with Barnes. I mean, I guess this is the biggest difference between the two. They both have really high strikeout rates to make up for their walks. However, Ottavino just does not give up fly balls yeah. or home runs. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't get hurt by his walks at all. And that was the same thing. Like Kimmerl has always had walk rates at like four, four and a half, but he would still get 40 saves a year because he would strike out like like 16 per nine uh, and just wouldn't give up fly balls until the end when like all he gave up was fly balls. <laughs> but um, prior to that, he was good at taking the damage that he got and really limiting it. And I think Ottavino can do that. I do not think that Barnes can because Barnes just cannot – keep up like keep from giving up fly balls and homers so um i don't think it's as cut and dry as it's too many walks to be the closer it's really kind of what is their overall skill set and i feel better about Ottavino in that role than barnes uh but you're right there i mean that's not just like with the bottom of the order it's not always going to go great and they're going to have some frustrating outings and where they walk two guys give up a single and all of a sudden we got a tie game um but I don't, I mean, I guess B 
because of that, I really don't think that Brazier will be in the mix because I think he's like third in that pecking order. And I feel like Adovino and Barnes would both have to really implode for him to be that next guy up to get a chance. Um, but uh, I mean, given, you know, Adovino had a really, really bad 2020. So maybe that, uh, that could happen. Yeah. You've convinced me that Adovino is a better candidate than Barnes for sure. Um, I think those are all great points, especially about him keeping the ball down and in, in the ballpark. Um, Barnes scares the hell out of me, man. I don't want to yeah. see him in the closer spot, but I have a feeling Barnes is going to end up being the closer. If I had to pick a favorite. I agree. Yeah. Not sure I like that. I mean, I like the bullpen way better than I did last year. Um, I still think we're going to have some frustrating ninth inning stuff. Uh, and I still think that, you know, come 2022, when this team is more ready to compete, hopefully, uh, I think this is going to be an area the team needs to address. And whether that comes internally, whether that's Darwin's and Hernandez uh, taking a step forward and claiming that role or someone from outside the organization, it still feels to me like this situation wouldn't be good enough on a contending team. No, I don't think that it would. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, Keaton, that about wraps it up. Um, I wanted to ask you before we get out of here, is there anything else you're going to be looking for as spring training games continue this upcoming week? Uh, I mean, nothing more specific than I just want to watch as many Jaron Duran and bats as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I did have something. Uh, so our last podcast, we had a listener question mm-hmm. um, that asked about our thoughts on who we thought would get the most innings pitched in the Red mm. Sox rotation. You picked Garrett Richards. I picked Martin Perez, which seemed real safe. Yeah. Uh, but I was curious what uh, you, the listeners and readers, uh, thought. And so I actually put that a uh, little Twitter poll out with that exact question. Uh, and Eduardo Rodriguez got 46.5% uh, to lead that poll. Martin Perez got 32.3%. Nate Evaldi got 156 and only 57 picked Garrett Richards. And to me, this, <laughs> this seemed like one of leaning one of two ways for Rodriguez. Either people are really optimistic on his outlook coming off of a lost 2020 season, or there's still so little confidence in the starting pitching, the Red Sox that if Rodriguez can only go like 130, that still leads the team. Hmm. Yeah. Um, man, I know Rodriguez himself is as super optimistic about what his innings totals can be this year. And he's, a free agent at the end of the year. So, you know, behooves them to pitch a lot of innings. That is surprising to me. I'm surprised at the lack of faith in Garrett Richards. Maybe I've just, you've been in, impacting me too much with this Garrett Richards talk, man. I blame you. <laughs> that might be it. <laughs> Could be it. I'm drafting him on all my fantasy leagues. I got him on, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm too in on Garrett Richards, but that is really interesting. Um, you know, I wrote about last week why they shouldn't extend Eduardo Rodriguez because, you know, even outside of the myocarditis stuff, he's been a guy who's been really prone to prone to blowups. Um, but this is a huge year for him, man. I I don't I don't love Eddie. Um, I'm rooting for him to have a good year because I think he's important to the team. But I also feel pretty strongly about this being the last year with the Red Sox. I don't know what your thoughts are on 
on his future with the team. It might be too too loaded of a question as as we uh, close this thing out, but you know, if you can give us your short thoughts on Eddie, I'd be curious. Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I mean, he has only had one healthy season with the Red Sox. Um, he's continued to improve and get better, which is nice to see, but that tells me that the Red Sox will not be looking to bring him back either long-term or for a lot of money. Uh, and someone else will probably give him both of those. Yeah, I think you're right. All right. Well, that does it for the podcast today. Uh, again, go on, rate and review us, subscribe to our show. We do appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter. You can follow the Spoken Keats uh, or Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me at, at Dev Jake. You can follow the Over the Monster account at Over the Monster. And we do appreciate you and we'll be with you again. Well, actually, somebody here will be with you again tomorrow. Uh, so stay with us. Goodbye.